to review a very familiar story in the life of Christ tonight. Matthew 26, we'll read beginning in verse 6 down through verse 13. The title of my message is, Why This Waste? Matthew 26, verse 6 down through verse 13. The Bible says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when the disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much, and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble you the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For you have the poor always with you, but me you have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment upon my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say to you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial for her. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the blessing of your word, and thank you, Father, that we can read it together tonight. And thank you, Lord, for your precious Holy Spirit, who guides us in an understanding of your word. Father, I pray that we would be reminded of how precious it is when we give to you, Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would use this passage to encourage those here tonight who are givers. And I pray, Father, that we would find in this passage direction uh, to give the very best that we have for Jesus. And I ask all of that in His name, and amen. Coming up this week, it will have been 63 years ago when the youngest men to have ever been elected as the President of the United States stood at the podium and delivered his inauguration address. Now, I wonder how many of you tonight remember lines from an inauguration address. Well, honestly, I would be hard put to give you any line from any presidential inauguration except for one. And there's one particular line, the one I'm talking about tonight, that has just been emblazoned in our memory as American citizens because, again, on January the 20th of 1961, The President of the United States, John F. Kennedy, in his inauguration address, had this to say. You know the line, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what? Ask what you can do for your country. How many of you have heard that before? Unanimous. It's probably the only line that you can remember from a presidential inauguration. I could not call up another one. But I know that one, and he doesn't even come from my side of the political spectrum. But I know it. I want to change that up just a little bit this evening, and let's think about what then the president had to say to Americans, and and maybe how we could twist that a little bit and see what God may have to say to us that would be very similar to that. Perhaps it's time that we ought to ask not what God can do for us, but what we can do for the Lord. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. God wants us to pray. We've talked a lot about prayer back a few weeks ago on Wednesday nights here at Bible Baptist Church, and we're reminded that God wants us to pray so much that Jesus even gave us a model that we can use for our prayers. And a part of that model has to do with prayer of supplication. 
You remember Jesus taught us to ask for the Lord to give us our daily bread. That's asking for God to do something for us. So I'm not saying to you tonight that we shouldn't do that. In fact, I would contend that we might ought to do that more than we do because Scripture says we have not because we ask not. So my point is not to try to convince you that we ought not pray prayers of supplication, but every now and then, do you think it would be fitting for us in our prayers just to say, God, you've been so good to me. You have been so gracious in your dealings with me. Father, would you just lay it on my heart, something that I could do more for you? What could I do more for you? Well, most of you are probably very familiar with this story that we've read from the Gospel of Matthew, and you can identify the lady who gave this incredible gift here. This is one of those stories in some form or another is relayed to us in each of the four Gospels. There's a story like this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And from one of the parallel passages, we understand that the giver of this gift is this young lady by the name of Mary. Now, when we read it out of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew begins up front by giving us a good clue about where we are because Jesus is in this particular town called Bethany. We've talked about Bethany a little bit in another message, but remember with me that Bethany is in a strategic location. It's very close to Jerusalem. It's over on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. Sometimes I know you've seen that iconic picture of the old city, Jerusalem, where you're looking straight at the Temple Mount, and these days there's that golden dome on the Temple Mount, the Dome of the Rock. Of course, that's where the ancient temple was. And so when you're standing on the Mount of Olives and you're looking into old city Jerusalem, you are on the western slope of the Mount of Olives. So if you were to stand there and look over into old city Jerusalem, just behind you would be the community of Bethany. So back behind you there on the other side of the Mount of Olives, that's where Jesus is. We know that Jesus had a personal relationship with this particular family in Bethany. We don't know much about Simon the leper. A lot of New Testament scholars uh, figure that Simon the leper was actually the deceased husband of Martha, But we do know about Martha and her sister Mary and their brother Lazarus. So those unique things happen in Bethany with the Lord Jesus and with this family that seems to be regular supporters of the ministry of Christ. We know that it would be in Bethany when before this event, Lazarus, who had died was summoned out of the grave, and Jesus reunited his spirit with his body, and Lazarus came forth as Jesus commanded him. So that happens in Bethany. This particular story happens in Bethany. And of course, you remember the time when Jesus comes to their home, and Mary is just at the feet of Jesus. Now, Let me just say, this is another message for another day, but let me insert it right here for just a moment. We need Martha's and Mary's. And many of us ought to have a little Martha in us, and at the same time have a little Mary in us. You know, Martha was interested in the details. She wanted to put the dinner on the table. But there's Mary at the feet of Jesus And Martha gets a little perturbed at Mary's presence with Jesus when she thought uh, Mary ought to have been in the kitchen 
helping her. And of course, Jesus, you remember, sets the record straight, and he tells Martha, I love the way he does it, because he repeats her name. He says, Martha, Martha. You remember the story. And he cautions Martha to think more like Mary. Mary was doing the most needful thing, and that is she was sitting at the feet of Jesus and soaking in the life and the ministry and the teaching of Christ. The thing I want you to know is that this family, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, was very close to Jesus. And as I said a moment ago, they seem to be regular helpers of Jesus. Perhaps they contributed to his itinerant ministry as he would go about the country doing what his father had sent him to do. But on this particular occasion, Mary does something incredible. Mary gives such a phenomenal gift that the disciples look at it, they sense it, because remember this is perfume that we're dealing with here. And so they smell it, and it causes them to ask a very interesting question. They process what's going on, and they determine it to be waste. And so they ask the question, why is this waste? Now, there are so many ways that we can examine this story that happens, but I want us to take a close look tonight at the gift Let's think about this gift that Mary gives. And I want you and I want me to ask ourselves this question. When is the last time that I did something so extravagant for the Lord Jesus that if other people knew about it, they would ask this same question? When is the last time that I did something so outlandish for Jesus? When is the last time that I really gave the very best that I have for the Lord Jesus? And if other people knew about it, they would be just like the disciples here in this story, and they would ask that question, why is he wasting that? Or why is she wasting that? Now, let me be clear again. There are a lot of things that we do for the Lord that other people don't need to know about. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught us that that lesson about giving. He said that really the left hand ought not know what the right hand does. And that's all about motive. You see, what Jesus was saying there is if in your giving you're doing it for other people to notice it, For other people to stand back and say, wow, what a giver he is, or how incredible she is in what she's giving to the Lord. If that's your motive, it would be better that you never gave it in the first place. So I'm not saying that all the time people notice what we do for Jesus, and they shouldn't. Now, sometimes we give very public gifts. You know, if God's called you to preach or teach, you're going to do that very publicly. And I take that as a wonderful opportunity. And those of you that teach Sunday school or youth or children or wherever the Lord has placed you, uh, you ought to view that as something you can give to the Lord Jesus Christ and you ought to want to do it to the very best of your ability. And so there are gifts. Singing is one of those gifts. Playing the instruments uh, is also one of those gifts. And so there are those very public gifts. And when we do them, we do them for the glory of God. We don't do them for the applause of men. But also there are those private gifts that ought to stay private. And so I'm not asking you to really differentiate between the public and the private gift. I'm just asking you, when was the last time that you gave something for the Lord Jesus 
that if other people knew about it, they would have this very same response. Why this waste? Well, let's think about the gift, and I'll identify for you as we look at the passage what it is about such a gift that could solicit a response like that. First thing I'd mention to you is a gift like that is a gift that is very valuable to us. A gift like Mary gave is a gift, number one, that is valuable to us. Notice again in the first couple of verses of the text here, the Bible says, Now when they're in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, the woman comes having an alabaster box. Look at the verbiage here, a very precious anointment. If you make marks in your Bible, if you highlight, if you underline things, that's worthy of an underline. This is a very precious gift, very precious ointment. And she poured it on his head as he sat there at meat. In other words, they're reclining at the table. That's the way Jewish people did it in the first century. If you went to a Jewish home and you had dinner with the people of that home, the table would be in the round and people would recline at the table. Not a very good idea for your digestion, but that's what they did. They would sort of lay on their sides with their head toward the table and their feet pointing out. And so there's Jesus reclining at the table, eating, and I'm sure it was a good meal knowing Martha, right? And enjoying that, and then all of a sudden, Scripture says that here comes this woman, who again in another passage is identified as Mary, and she takes this extravagant gift, and she begins to empty it out over the body of the Lord Jesus. Here's what I want you to see. What Mary gave Jesus is probably the very most precious thing that she owned. She probably didn't have another possession that was anywhere close to this. Now remember, in that day and age, in that particular part of the world, they didn't have banks So it wasn't like you could take money and put it in a CD or just in a casual savings account or something like that. But often, in a way to preserve funds, they would go out and they would buy something for which the value would stay constant or even grow. It's kind of like the thought of buying gold or buying silver and stockpiling that. And so... Mary here has something precious, something that she's bought. The ointment, the perfume is down in this alabaster container and very likely she has it placed up on a shelf somewhere. And when the day would come that she would need to liquidate that for finances, she'd have no problem doing that. I want you to see that the gospel writer Mark actually sheds a little more light on the value of the gift. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 14 and verse 3, Scripture says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman with an alabaster flask of ointment, listen to this, of pure, hear that word pure, of pure nard. And then Mark says, It's very costly, She broke the flask and poured it over his head. I want you to look at those two adjectives. Mark says that it is pure. In other words, this is the real thing. This wasn't available under a blue light at Kmart. It was very pure. It was expensive. We're not talking about restroom polo here. It's the real thing. And so Mary has it, extremely expensive, very costly, the finest perfume, if you would, that money could possibly buy. 
Scholars tell us that a vase of that type of pure nard would have cost the average person about a year's salary. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Taking a year of your income and purchasing something that you would take out and ultimately you would just pour it. Now I've been around some people, when you get around them, it smells like they pour on their perfume. But that's not typically what we do, right? Or dab, dab. But we typically don't take it and just pour it out. But that's exactly what Mary does here. Again, I want you to see what Mary's doing. She, don't miss it, is giving the best she has for Jesus. And that's the question that we all need to process tonight. Are we giving our best for Jesus? Now, your best is not my best, and my best is not your best. God has created, created us differently, and God has, uh, in His sovereignty, made us stewards of different types of resources. In other words, everybody doesn't have the same money. We get that. Everybody doesn't have the same types of abilities. We don't all have the same type of intelligence. We don't have the same types of skills. But all of us have something that is our very best that we ought to be giving to Jesus. That's what Mary does. She takes the best that she has and then she gives it to Jesus. Now remember this about your best. Your best is your best. I'll say what I said just a second ago. It may not be like somebody else's best because we're all different, but your best is your best and whatever your best is, God receives it and God is honored and God is glorified when you take your best and you give it to Jesus. If you're willing to serve the Lord, then you understand that it will cost you something. I want you to know that tonight. Serving Jesus is costly. You know what Jesus said about being His disciple? He said, you can't be my disciple until you're willing to take up your cross and follow me daily. You do know what that means, right? What is a cross? We, we wear the cross to remind us of what Jesus has done for us. Sometimes it's silver, sometimes it's gold. We wear the cross. But let me ask you this. When was the last time you saw somebody wearing an emblem of an electric chair? When was the last time you saw somebody wearing something that was all about being an implement of death. Remember that the next time you wear your cross, and I think you should wear your cross. I think you should see the cross, but that cross ought to remind you that it's something upon which to die. What did Jesus do on the cross? He died. And then Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to pick up your cross and you have to die to me to follow me each and every day. In other words, you know, the life of a Christian is a life of dying to yourself. Because, look, you don't own yourself anymore. You belong to Jesus. You're His. And what you have, what you think you have, you have as a steward. God has given it to you. You don't have one thing that God did not give to you. You might want to sing it like Elvis did and Frank Sinatra before him. I did it my way. No, you didn't. You absolutely did not. You may think you did. But I'm saying to you, everything you have, God has given it to you. And the number one rule of discipleship is this. Are you willing to lay it all down for Him? 
That's what Mary does here. I'm not telling you, don't mistake me for a moment, I'm not telling you that God wants you to liquidate everything you own and, and, and live as a pauper the rest of your life. That's not the point at all. But the point is your attitude, your thought behind what you think is yours. The idea is it's really not. It all belongs to God. And the kind of gift that Scripture is identifying here is the gift that's precious to us. We should never be people who think that I'll just fling a little bit, I'll take out of the periphery, out of the margin of my life, and I'll just fling a little bit here and there at the Lord. If that's your idea, then you ought not give it all. You see, this type of gift is the gift that is valuable, that is precious to us. Now I want you to see the negative side of it. The gift that if other people knew about it, that you gave it to the Lord, the gift that would solicit a question like this, why this waste is a gift, obviously, that will be criticized by others if they know about it. Let me ask you this question. When Mary takes this gift, when she breaks open that alabaster flask and she begins to pour it, completely pour it, not reserve one drop, but empty it all upon the Lord Jesus, who was Mary thinking about? Jesus. She was only thinking about the Lord at that moment when she breaks open the alabaster vase and she pours that perfume all over Jesus. But I'm telling you, before the last drop hit the floor, she had to go through a withering blast of critical fire from a hypocritical furnace. Notice what happens there again in verses 8 and 9 of the text. When the disciples saw it, they had indignation. That's a big old word, isn't it? They had indignation. Do you use that in your daily vocabulary? When's the last time you asked somebody, why all the indignation, brother? What does that mean? That means that they were greatly concerned. They were indignant. They were bothered by this. So when they saw it, they were stirred up. Hey, they must have been Baptist. They got stirred up. And notice this. They began to say to one another, Why this waste? What's the purpose of this waste? And then notice what they conclude in verse 9. This ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Now, you need to know this. When you do your best for Jesus, when you offer all you have for the Lord, people will find a way to criticize you for it, if they know about it. That's just the way people are. Kind of like the guy that loved his pastor. And he had this friend that wasn't in church, and he was on him about coming to church with him, and he he was talking about his pastor. You'll love my pastor. You'll enjoy his sermon. Would you come to church with him? Well, the man finally let down his resolve, and he came to church with him one day. The pastor preached. The service was over. They left the service, got out in the car, and the man looked at his friend and said, Well, what would you think about my preacher? And the man said, Well, I didn't like him at all. He looked over at him and said, What? He said, No, I didn't like your pastor at all. He said, why not? And he said, well, he, he preached so long I couldn't stay awake. But he preached so loud I couldn't go to sleep. <laughs> People will find a way to criticize you. Either you're too long or too loud, or maybe like me, a little bit too, mo- too much of each. I don't know. People will do that. So here is Mary. She's not thinking about the people in the room. Oh, she knew they would know it. 
And I want you to see this. Don't, don't miss this. These are the disciples. The apostles. These are good people. Don't miss it. You know, the Bible doesn't say here in the story that these were the people that were just hanging around the house. The Bible doesn't say it was the servants. The Bible doesn't say it was just the people from the community that thought about this. It was the disciples, the good ones. And they look at this and they say, why this waste? Here's the truth of the matter. The world, and sometimes even people who know the Lord, will look at something you do and say, are you really going to do that? Are you going to do that for the Lord? A lot of times, they'll consider what you've done, and they'll just call it a waste. I've heard it. I've heard it. You take a sharp young person that could do anything he wanted with his life, had the intellect to go to graduate school and get professional degrees and everything, and he steps out and surrenders his life to the ministry, I've heard people say, he could do so much more than that. Take a young lady, God calls to to be a missionary, and she forfeits all the other things in life she could have done, and she makes a beeline to the mission field. I've heard people sit around and criticize that. My dad used to tell the story. Uh, preaching a revival in a church, and uh, there was a mission leader, a lady in the church that kind of kept mission efforts in front of the church. And she had prayed for years that God would call a foreign missionary out of their church. They had a revival service, and one night a teenage girl that was about to graduate high school stepped out, and she made the announcement that God had called her to missions and she was surrendering her life to foreign missions. And this mother that had prayed that God had, would call somebody out of their church said in an audible voice that a lot of people heard, said it out loud, God, I did not mean her. Sometimes we pretend to be one thing And then we stand around and we we see people give their best to the Lord. And we think, that's just not right. That's wasteful. Think about the story here. Mary gives the best thing she has for Jesus. That solicits the criticism of the disciples But here's the bottom line. Number three, when we give our best to the Lord, it's a blessing to Jesus. I want you to see what Jesus does. Of course, Jesus is omniscient because He's God. He knows all things. And so this conversation is circling around the disciples Why is she wasting on this? Why didn't she just give it to us so that we could take it and sell it? And don't misunderstand. They're they're probably not all that interested in the poor. They're probably interested in getting their next meal. But Jesus understands it, says in verse 10, He says to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. In other words, she has blessed me. She's done a good thing for me. You always have the poor with you, but me, you don't always have. You see, Jesus is not saying here that we ought not give what we have to take care of poor people and do ministries of benevolence. That's not the point. But Jesus is saying, this lady has done something spectacular for me just to demonstrate her love, and it's okay. 
It's a blessing to Jesus. You see, people could not miss it. As I said earlier, everybody knew about it. Because I promise you, when she opened it up, when she broke it open, beginning at that second, with this being a pure nard, everybody would have begun to smell it. They knew about it. And then by the time she begins to pour it over the body of Jesus, the whole house, no mistaking, would have known it. Everybody around them, probably people on the outside, would have been able to have sniffed it. Reminds me of a story uh, of several years ago when we were pastoring, living in Lexington. Um, my, My boys were fascinated with this body spray. And my sister and my mother and other people would, would buy them this stuff, and, and they loved it. I can't even remember the name of it, but it, it was a big deal. It was on commercials, on television. They talked about it all the time, and, and the boys just thought it was something. Uh, you know, Alistair, the oldest, was just getting to the point where he said, I like to have this stuff because the chicks dig it. I don't even know where he got the language. Axe. It was called Axe. Y'all remember that stuff? The boys loved it. I thought it was wretched. I thought it was terrible. Well, one of my good friends, the girls did too. Woo! Amen. Amen. Listen, <laughs> one of my good friends that lived in our neighborhood had come up that night. It, it was after Christmas. The boys had a new supply of axe. And he came up to watch the cats. We were watching a basketball game. And my friend Craig and I were sitting there watching the game. And all of a sudden, Craig looks over at me and says, Alan, do you smell that? I looked back at Craig took a whiff, and I looked back at Craig, and I said, yeah, I smell that. What in the world? (laughs) And as we sat there, it got stronger and stronger and bigger and bigger. You know what those boys were upstairs doing? They were having an axe war. (laughs) Psst, 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 psst. And evidently, little brother had sprayed big brother pretty good with it, and big brother just got him down and held him down and emptied out the whole can. (laughs) Emptied out the whole can. Our house smelled like axe for months. I'm not even kidding. I mean, you can walk in, you can smell the daggone stuff. Can you imagine? I mean, that's, that's cheap body spray. Can you imagine the real stuff here? The Chanel, the Polo. The real stuff. Not even the cologne, the, the real essence. And Mary takes it and empties it on Jesus. Everybody knew it. And here's what Jesus says Jesus says, Don't criticize her because what she does here, it blesses me. Verse 12. For in that she has poured this anointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Remember what I just said. When she did it, people couldn't miss it. Everybody could smell it. But who was the recipient? Jesus. And I promise you, wherever Jesus went... And by the way, you can turn the pages of the book of Matthew and you're going to discover that it's just right after this that Jesus is betrayed, that Jesus is arrested, that Jesus goes through his trials, that Jesus is scourged, that Jesus is crucified, that Jesus is buried. And I promise you, that wherever Jesus went, whoever was around Him from this moment to the moment He died on the cross could smell 
what Mary had done. And they would smell, and they would take it in. You know what they would say? Somebody loved this man. Somebody took something extravagant. And they poured it on his body. So Jesus says, leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing for me. What she has done has actually been to prepare my body for its burial. I don't want you to miss this tonight. This is not a lesson in legalism. Can I tell you this? I hate, hate, capital H-A-T-E, I hate legalism because legalism devalues grace. I was not saved because I had anything to offer the Lord. I'm saved because the Lord offered His best for me. I'm not saved because I had works that I could muster to appease the Lord. It's not about that. And I'm not continuing in grace because I do anything for Jesus. It's not about legalism, but it's about Jesus meaning so much to me that I'll do my best for Him. It's like we sing in the old hymn, Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Jesus is worthy of the best I can give. Not to get saved, not to stay saved, but just out of a heart of love for Him. Let me close by sharing with you a story about a man by the name of William Borden. Went by Bill, Bill Borden. Bill Borden was the heir of a very wealthy Chicago area family. He was born in November of 1887. The Borden family had made, even in that early day, had made multiplied millions of dollars mining silver in Colorado. One of the wealthiest families in the United States of America. And Bill Borden not only was the heir to that family, but he was brilliant. I mean, he had an intellect that was keen. And so he graduated high school early at the age of 16, and his family sent him on a tour of the world. He literally sailed around, toured around the whole wide world, was gone for months. The family could afford to send him on a trip like that. While he was traveling around the world, he began to notice that people in other places weren't blessed like we're blessed, and particularly his family was blessed. And so God on that trip got a hold of the heart of Bill Borden, you know what happened? He came back home and he surrendered his life to be a foreign missionary. He goes off to college at Yale University and when he was there he was disappointed in the spiritual climate of the university. Imagine how he'd find it today. But he was disappointed in that and so you know what he does? He begins a Bible study there. That thing began to grow and grow and grow until the time he was a senior at Yale University and a thousand of Yale's 1,300 students at that point were enrolled in either his or one of the Bible studies that sprung off of his. God was using this young man. He graduates from Yale University and of course the family wants him to come back. The business is his. He can do anything that he wants to do. He's got the wealth to do it. 
But you know what? He said, no, God has a hold of my heart. He's called me to missions. I'm not going to look back. I'm going to prepare for this calling that God has given me. So he enrolls in seminary at Harvard. Actually, Harvard had a conservative seminary back in those days. So he goes to seminary, graduates seminary. Again, his father's trying to attract him to come back home and run the family business. He says no to all of that. And he set sail on December the 17th in 1912. God had called him to a particular poor place in China with the Kansu people to be their missionary and take the gospel to them. On his way to China, he stops in Cairo, Egypt to study Arabic and to learn more about Islam so that he could be a good missionary when he reached the people. He had been in his language studies for a few weeks and contracts meningitis and he never makes it to China. Three weeks later, he died in Cairo, Egypt with meningitis. And the headlines all across the United States of America report the story. In fact, one of the newspaper writers in bold letters, Borden, dead in China, and then as he begins to write out his story, Throughout the story, he says, what a waste. Bill Borden's body, to this day, obviously, is buried in the American cemetery in China. And the people would read the story. They would shake their heads. They wouldn't understand. But you know what? Here's a young man that held nothing in reserve. Could have been anywhere he wanted to be, could have done anything he wanted to do. But he gives his life in service to the Lord. One person that wrote one of his biographies put it this way, a wave of sorrow went around the world Borden not only gave away his wealth, but himself in a way so joyous and natural that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice. Here's what I want to say to you tonight. What we do for the Lord is a privilege. It's a blessing. Now, I'm not saying to you that it's going to be God's will for you to give up your life the way Bill Borden did, although it might be. I'm not saying to you that you have to go and take the most expensive thing you own and liquidate it and and surrender that to the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying to you this, that if God lays it on your heart, Whatever it is, you don't worry about what others think. Your answer to the Lord is always yes. He gave everything for you. He gave everything for me. And when we give, I want you to understand, when we give our best, whatever that means for you and for me, Jesus is blessed. He's blessed. I want you all, church, to enjoy the blessings that God has given you. You've done such a wonderful thing. We were all astounding, as, astounded as God moved in hearts and, and you gave the Christmas offering the way you did and then you turned around and you matched that as a church Wednesday night I just want you to know that blesses Jesus. That blesses Him. That honors Him. I just want to tell you tonight, whatever God calls you to do, whatever that means, when you say yes, it will honor Jesus.
and you'll be blessed. Did you see how Jesus wraps up this story? Basically, he says, what this woman has done, wherever this gospel is preached, people are going to know this story. Imagine 2,000 years ago in an obscure place called Bethany, Mary does this spectacular thing, and here we are in January of 2024 in Mount Vernon, Kentucky, and we're talking about what Mary did for Jesus. Wow. I'm saying to you, you give what He wants you to give. You honor Him, you bless Him, oh, and He will bless you. Would you stand with me tonight and bow your heads? Father, thank You for the story that we've been reminded of tonight. Thank You, Lord, that You're a God who gives us opportunities to participate with you in your mission to win the world to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And Father, I I thank you for this precious church. I thank you, Father, for the way you move in their hearts and they respond so generously to you. And I just pray tonight that they would find themselves in Mary of Bethany. And that, Father, you would just open up the floodgates of glory and blessings, shower it down upon this, your people. Lord, I pray for anybody here tonight that, Lord, you may be dealing with his or her heart, somebody you might be calling to ministry, somebody that you might be calling to start a new work, someone that, Father, you're through your Holy Spirit tapping on their heart right now, and you're saying this ministry needs to start at Bible Baptist Church. I pray, Father, that we would not consider the costs of anything you call us to do, but that our answer to you would always be yes and amen. Father, if there's one who needs to come in response to how your Holy Spirit is moving, may he or she come tonight. May Christ be glorified. We pray in his name. Amen.